Good morning and welcome. Now that you're awake. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church on this beautiful day. If you're visiting with us, we ask that you take the visitor's card from the pew in front of you, fill it out, give us a little information so that we can communicate with you how we best can match your need for ministry with what we have to offer, what you have to offer us, and what we can do together in the future in this community. This morning, we're going to be thinking a lot about worship. What a surprise. You got up this morning, you put your clothes on, you got in your car, you came here today to do that. Sometimes we talk about bringing everything we have to worship. This morning, I'm going to try to experiment and do something a little bit different to let us think about it, worship in a little different way. So if you would close your eyes, take a deep breath, Think a moment about what do I have to bring to the Lord this morning in this worship experience. Sometimes we have to leave a few things behind. Sometimes very much a part of us is our schedules. So I'm going to ask you to make a choice and choose to leave your schedule behind. Some of us spend a lot of time planning so that we can make sure what happens in the future is perfect. I'm asking to leave, asking you to set aside all of your plans for the future. When the Lord asks us, what do you have to bring to me in worship? Sometimes we start talking to him about our children, our grandchildren. Those are roles that sometimes actually prevent us and get in the way of our worship. So this morning I'm asking you to come to worship, set aside your role as a parent or a grandparent. Set aside your role as a spouse, as a husband, wife. Set aside your role as a minister, professor, banker, teacher, barber, whatever you choose that you do every day as your profession. Set aside your role as a sportsman or sportswoman. And for some of us, we have to think a minute to decide, is there anything left? But it is that part of us that's left, standing before the Lord to say, Lord, this is what I have to bring. And in our humanness, we think that's not much. But reality tells us that when we just bring that, that gives us more room for what the Lord has to bring to us. And in his presence, we then can celebrate, we can stand in awe, of his majesty. We can sit in his lap 
and let him put his arms around us and say, Abba, Father, and he blesses us, and he loves us, and he fills us with his spirit and his essence. So I ask you to bring that which is left, and when the music begins, let the blessings begin.
pray with me. Dear Father, we come here today desiring to be a Christ-centered community of faith devoted to the worship of our living God. Lord, just fill us with your spirit today and let us sing and make music in our hearts to you. Clothe us with your compassion, kindness, your humility, gentleness, and patience. Help us to forgive one another as you forgive us and forgave us, and to love as you love. Lord, I pray that you will give each of us a new intimacy with you and fresh insight as we study your word and do your work in our community. We give thanks to you, God the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Wonder at the mention of your. 
Good morning, good morning. You know what, it really makes my heart happy to see you in the morning, especially on a Sunday morning. Y'all scoot in this way so Miss Sherry's neck doesn't have to go side to side so I can see everybody. You don't want me to have whiplash before this is over. Hey guys, this morning we're gonna be talking, you heard Mr. Phil say a minute ago that we're gonna be talking about worship. So I want us to think about two words today. The first one is worship, and the second one is offer, okay? So who can tell me, tell me what you think when I say we worship together. What does that mean? Yes, Jada. We talk about God. What else? What do we do? We praise God. Anna? Yeah, and how do we do that? Praying, praying and singing and what? And together, yes, those are all great answers. That's right. So when we worship together, guys, we are telling God that we love God with all our hearts. And the other thing that we do about worship that we don't talk about a lot, but it's really important. Let me see your face. It's important that we remember who God is and we remember what God has done for us. And that's why we worship together. The Bible tells us in Hebrews to never forsake the assembling together. And God knows it's important to remember what he's done for us. So let me, let me ask you this. How many of you have been at a place where somebody's offered you their snack or a treat at lunch? Surely. Come on. I know you have. How about someone might have offered you a seat? You were tired and they said, here, you can sit here. That happened? Yeah. How many um, of you might have been a place where somebody said, here, let me help you with that? Anybody said that to you? Sure. That's an offer, isn't it? So what's another verb for offer? If we offer something, what are we doing? Anna? You're giving. Yes, don't forget that. Offer and give. Those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. So when we come to worship and at church especially, we've heard we pray, we sing, we read scripture. What else do we do? Like if, what, what are those plates? When we pass those plates, what do we call that? Just say it out loud. We take the offering. A couple of weeks ago, did we see somebody up here, a couple of somebody's up here, do something real important, like Abbott? What happened? Abbott was baptized. We worship when others are baptized. And we also worship when we come to have the Lord's Supper together. So, when we do those things, is it just one person doing it? Like right now, I'm the only one talking. But... Can you be thinking? Sure, I hope you are. When we sing together, you might hear one or two or a few people sing, but we can all sing and think about the words together, can't we? And the words are our praises and our prayers to God. So when we worship, I want you to remember that we all do it. Anna's the one that said it. We do it together, and that's really important. So today, guys, and every Sunday, or even during the week at other times, 
When we are worshiping together, I want you to think of a question, okay? I know the words might be hard. It might be an old hymn and you're going, I really don't get this. But I want you to think about what am I giving to God? Can you do that for me? What am I giving to God when I pray, when I read the Bible, when I sing together, when I see a baptism? What am I giving to God? Because when we do those things, we know God better and we understand the deep love that God has for us better when we remember what he's done for us. Okay? So this week, think about offering is a way we give to God. Got it? And I hope I see you Wednesday night at, at Fuse, okay? Let's pray together. Lord God, we are really grateful that you give us a space and a time to worship and gather together. So I pray for these kiddos this week especially, that you would help them to know you better and you would help them to um, know more about your love for us as they give to others. We love you, God, and thank you for your love to us. Amen. Thanks, guys. I will worship. I will worship with all of my heart. With all of my heart. I will praise you. I will praise you with all of my strength. I will seek you. I will seek you with all of my days. All of my days. I will follow. You alone are worthy. 
Good morning, fellow Calvarians. This spring, Josh Borderud and I hosted Calvary Night Live, which afforded us the opportunity to share with you our spiritual gifts, those principally being sarcasm, satire, and sardonic condescension. <laughs> Naturally, some of Calvary's, I think I'm going to use the word non-traditional. Let's go with non-traditional. Some of Calvary's non-traditional worship practices were the subject of our lampoons. Now, any normal ministerial staff would have been embarrassed and offended. Our staff, our staff, however, has asked us, Calvary's version of the two old men sitting in the balcony on the Muppet Show, they've asked <laughs> us to reprise our roles for you this morning in worship. And so as proof that Calvary has finally jumped the shark with respect to worship planning, we bring you this morning a new segment of worship that we are calling From the Seat of Mockers. Yes, now this is, this is unusual. The unusual, I should say, is nothing new for those of us at Calvary. Perhaps our theme song should be still crazy after all these years. Joel, not only still crazy, but perhaps crazier than ever. Uh, for those of you uh, who were here during our sparsely attended summer services, which actually are held, um, <laughs> we did the hokey pokey one Sunday, uh, and then just a month ago, we danced to Earth, Wind, and Fire at the end of service as glitter cannons went off, announcing that we owe a little less money on our church debt. <laughs> yes, remember that debt, Calvarians? Well, the bank still does because it's still here. <laughs> and, and you know that now that I've mentioned Still Crazy after all those years, Randall is certainly going to have us all sing a Paul Simon song in worship next week, a cappella. In Espanol. In a round. <laughs> now, as I've said, we've been different at Calvary for a long time. Years ago, when Ken Massey was our pastor, he once preached a sermon from an actual duck blind constructed on the platform. Do you remember this, Don? Dressed in full camouflage. <laughs> And then, of course, there was that time when Julie Pennington Russell was our pastor that we decided it would be a great idea to release some doves on Pentecost Sunday. So during the service, the doves were kept in a cage covered by a blanket, which we did not know would cause the doves to become disoriented. And so after church, Julie led the children outside the door where they proceeded to release the doves that flew off into the air, and being disoriented, they promptly turned around and dive-bombed the outside of the sanctuary. And so, to this day, when I hear the word Pentecost, I think of the terrified screams of our children. <laughs> but I have to say, on the other hand, when I see Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds, I think of Pentecost. So six of one, <laughs> half dozen of another. You win that round, Calvary. <laughs> you know, Jennifer and I have been members for about seven years. We joined in 2009, uh, but actually we visited three years prior in the fall of 2006, and we're really enjoying Julie PR's preaching and the spirit of the church uh, until one fateful Sunday, uh, we were sitting in our pews rather quietly when we were asked to turn to our neighbors and to confess our innermost sins to each other. And this took us quite out of our comfort zone. Uh, I don't really know what the end game was supposed to be there. Uh, you know, was it supposed to go like, D 
dear fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm just meeting for the first time, I feel confident and that I can trust you with this information that I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> <laughs> and still, Josh, that would somehow not crack the top ten of most awkward confessions made in a worship service at Calvary. <laughs> Recently, you know, of course, we're always doing something special and outside the box here, uh, but one that really uh, is seared in my memory and in my taste buds is our jelly bean Sunday, in which we were given a jelly bean, a flavored jelly bean in a small plastic bag. And several of those sitting around me did not want to eat their jelly bean just out of a deep distrust for things <laughs> like that. Uh, but I, on the other hand, thought, oh, what, how, how bad could this be? And so when they told us to eat the jelly bean and then reflect on what that had to say about our relationship with God, I went ahead and ate a red jelly bean, which tasted like cherry and was delicious. Uh, I then ate a blue jelly bean, which tasted like blueberry and was even better. And then ate a brown one, which tasted like fertilizer. <laughs> and I guess the two spiritual takeaways from that were, number one, maybe I have a gluttony issue. Uh, and number two, never trust a worship illustration at Calvary Baptist Church. Yeah, and one Sunday, they passed out shards of glass to every man, woman, and child who came from the door. And I have to say, mine was a bit long. It resembled, well, it was more of a prison shank. Yeah. And so after that, the lasting legacy of Jim Coston will always be the formation of our worship risk management team, as well as the sudden spike in the premiums of our liability insurance. And, uh, of course, there are countless examples of our eccentricity at Calvary. I know your favorite, Josh. Always been Calvary Dance Ministry. Uh, I don't know if uh, y'all remember this. It was around when, when we joined, and it seemed to be there was a paid staff member who was our dance minister, and then there were a number of children, and they were all dressed in kind of black jumpsuits, and they would come up here, and they would have little pink sashes and flags that they would kind of twirl and kind of dance around. Um, and I don't know if the contract just didn't get renewed or something like that, but there was a final dance Sunday, which I guess there were only like three of us there, because I swear me and Joel and somebody else were the only people that remember this, but the dance minister then twirled a samurai sword around up here, coming perilously close to decapitating a few youth in the front row. And so what is the take-home from that? Well, Josh, it's simple. Calvary taught us that. Ninjas need the Lord. <laughs> Ninjas need the Lord. With every head bowed when and every eye closed. Will we realize we, ninjas need the Lord? We ask that all practitioners of the martial arts go to the back of the sanctuary to receive a special sign of God's grace for you in this place. And don't forget also, we cannot forget our Calvary Chime Choir, led by our own concert master, Eva Doyle. Where is Eva? <laughs> I, will, I will never forget you marching down, swinging those chimes like a mad woman. And I mean angry mad, not crazy mad. Yeah. But, the, but remember, they are the award-winning Calvary Chimes Choir. Uh, voted most cacophonous by Texas Monthly. <laughs> and of course, uh, what else have we got? Oh yes, Josh, there was that one time, remember, during the offertory, Guillermo played uh, Iron Butterflies in Agata de Vida for over 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Hey, Josh, I believe that's a Simpsons episode. Oh, well, I've been at Calvary a long time. I'm just going to say blurred lines. <laughs> yes, and so Josh has always joked about the, uh, the way the youth get to take 
charge of one worship service every year, and he wished our Sunday school class could do that because he had the plan of we're going to bring in T-shirt guns and shoot them off every time the preacher used the word community or intentional. But let's face it, <laughs> after, after the glitter cannons, and for those of you who were not here in August and were on vacation, that happened. After the glitter cannons, I don't think anyone would bat an eye at T-shirt guns. Joel, the one thing about Calvary worship is that it is never predictable. So from the seat of mockers, I am Brother Heckle, and this is Brother Jekyll, and we are out. Don't forget to tip your ushers. Psalms. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and the faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn will make joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for the joy of the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. A reading from the epistle to the Ephesians. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A reading from the epistle to the Colossians. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Meryl Streep fan. Brenda and I have watched nearly every movie that she's ever played in. Have you seen her new movie, Florence Foster Jenkins? How many of you have seen that? Okay, you must. Um, it's a story of a woman who carved out a place for herself in history as the worst singer ever. It really is a true story, and the movie is quite accurate historically. Florence Foster was born into a well-to-do family in 1868 and apparently was a very talented child pianist. She even played in the White House for President Rutherford B. Hayes. But a few years later, an injury brought her dreams of being a concert pianist to a close, and she set her sights on a singing career. As a young woman, she wanted to go to Europe, as was the case with many budding musicians in that time. But as an only child, her parents did not allow her to go and study in Europe. Instead, she took off to New York, where she worked her way into the society circles of the Big Apple. 
She eventually studied voice with some of New York's most famous teachers, and she hobnobbed with the musically elite. This is where the movie picks up. It begins with her voice lessons and the steady stream of famous musicians who visited her to receive support for their artistic endeavors. Names like Toscanini, Cole Porter, Caruso, and others were regular visitors into her home. Eventually, she formed her own music society, the Verity Club, to which only her staunch supporters were invited. They were selected and paid off by her dedicated husband, played by Hugh Grant, with whom she shared a platonic relationship. By the way, if you've not seen the movie, it's worth the ticket price to see Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory as her pianist, who, by the way, was chosen because he is a pianist in real life. In case you haven't seen the movie or heard of the worst singer who ever sold out Carnegie Hall, I thought it would be fun today and um, interesting if we had a little excerpt of Florence singing the Queen of the Night aria from Mozart's The Magic Flute. Okay, <clears throat> that's not Meryl Streep, that's actually Florence Foster Jenkins uh, in a recording from late in her life. Uh, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I was telling him about this movie, and he said, you know, I'm afraid if I went to that movie, it would be like one of those uh, movies I'd been to before where my wife laughed about everything and I didn't catch any of the jokes and didn't know it was funny. I assured him I thought that he would really catch it in this movie, but if you didn't catch that, it's okay to laugh anyway. Um, that's fine. So what do you think of that? I think we can all hear that there's something just not quite right about her singing. It's kind of close at times, but just not quite there. But isn't it interesting that all these recordings of her are still around and they continue to receive lots of interest and even are big sellers. So what kind of singers are we? How well do you sing? How freely do you offer your voice, good or bad voice, to God in worship? What about your praying? What about our preaching? What about our spirit and attitude in worship? What about our sometimes half-hearted efforts? What do we do with those in this place? Yet in our scripture reading just a few moments ago, we heard the words, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We heard the admonition to sing with absolutely no quality qualifier. We heard phrases like teach, admonish, with gratitude in your hearts, giving thanks to God, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, shout for joy to the Lord, yet strangely not a mention of ability. Sing if you have a beautiful voice, not there. Sing if you're well-trained, didn't hear that. Pray if you're theologically educated. Not so much. Preach if you have refined orator skills. Certainly not a requirement for today's preacher. And you get the point. The priority seems to be more about the spirit and the effort in worship. 
At the end of the Meryl Streep movie, just a few days after Florence has made her Carnegie Hall debut, in which over 2,000 people were turned away, she, for the first time in her carefully guarded life, reads the actual reviews of her Carnegie Hall debut. They are scathing and hurtful. Five days later, she experienced a heart attack, and on her deathbed, she said, they may say that I can't sing, but they can't say that I didn't sing. They may say that I can't sing, but they can't say that I didn't sing. A number of years ago, when I turned 40, I determined that I was weary of living a life in which I only participated in the things that I was good at, only stepping up to the plate to play games that I was sure to win, or stepping up on a platform to sing notes that I was sure to hit. I determined that I wanted to live a bigger life, one in which I felt more deeply, lived more authentically, and took more risks toward becoming vulnerable. Part of that early 40s realization is tied to my coming to Calvary. At the time I came to Calvary in the summer of 2001, I had never led a praise and worship song. And nearly all of my worship experiences were very much within traditional worship styles, not any of the things that you've heard our resident comedians and mockers talk about this morning. <laughs> my coming to Calvary that summer as an interim minister of music was spawned by conversations in which our former pastor, Julie Pennington Russell, and I had regarding our dreams of a church where the worship was broad-based and, and, and as inclusive as the the God view that our congregation espoused. I came to Calvary just two weeks after the church-wide conversation that you heard last week from Tom Purdy, Don Corley, Sherry DeHay, and Tiffany Hogue. This was a time in the church's history where a decision had been made to trust God more and to consider new ways of doing things. What we experience in worship every week here is largely influenced by that God, that big God commitment that we made all those years ago. So what are some Calvary worship distinctives? What are some of the worship priorities in this place? How do we seek to throw all that we have toward this big God that we love? First, we come out of the congregation to speak, to sing, preach, lead in prayer, Ministers, and not even the choir, sit on the platform in this place. Our worship models the belief that God speaks to all of us, and the Word of, the, of God is experienced most profoundly in the communal voice that comp comprises all of us. The people that, that step up to the platform to lead are just as broken as the rest of us. They were sitting where we sat just a moment, few moments before they start to lead. Also, we refer to the place that our leaders stand as a platform instead of a stage. A stage is often considered a place from where people act. It's a place where, where spectators observe others. But a platform is a place from which we simply have clearer sight lines and a better ability to hear. Here at Calvary, there are no spectators, just broken people participating with all their hearts. And by the way, it was such a pleasure this morning to sit over here and hear the beautiful singing all around us. That is not common in every church in our city and certainly not in our world. Secondly, 
we try to, we have a diverse representation of preachers, scripture readers, and those who take up the offering. Women, men, children, all ages and all stages of life. The spoken word is proclaimed by a variety of people, hence today's preacher. Song leaders represent all ages. As you've seen today, Guillerme, uh, Sarah, have switched roles around. This summer, Kim, Kimlin's played the piano, I've played the piano, they've led, we've tag-teamed all over the place. Receiving the offering at Calvary is one of my favorite parts of worship. It's a beautiful snapshot of the body of Christ, diverse and multifaceted. I don't have anything against old men in suits taking up offering, but I do have something that I proclaim important that we all get to participate. Similarly, nearly everyone will be asked to lead in worship in here, in this place, at some time, not only deacons or ministers. We utilize more people in worship leadership than any church that I've ever known. At some time or another, most of us have led something. Fourth, the importance of sharing stories within worship, which was referred to last week as having found its way back to 2001 and also encouraged by the Life Group movement, is a distinctive of Calvary worship. We believe that one of the surest ways to know about Christ is to hear about what Christ is doing around us and among us. We have a place nearly every Sunday for someone to share what Christ is doing within his or her own life. Today was a bit of exception unless you can count um, Joel and Josh as some ways sharing a, a testimony, uh, your decision. Next, as you've heard from Joel and Josh already, at times we will be asked to get out of our comfort zones in worship and to do something a bit unusual, pass the mic, get in a small group, eat a jelly bean, write a prayer, and you have a plethora of uh, things from which to choose. Sometimes these new ideas work beautifully. Uh, for instance, the way we do baptism came from just an idea of one Sunday that we might all come forward, and that has become a tradition here and something that we do only in this place. It was simply thought of in a worship planning session once. Sometimes these ideas don't quite take off as we had envisioned, like glow-in-the-dark stamps and things like that. But we appreciate that everyone is willing to take a risk and be open to how God might work during that experience. Sixth, we try to sing songs that reflect a diversity of musical genres and traditions from around the world, especially the places where we have personal connections. We believe that music is important to each of us, and that failure to accept someone else's music is in some way failure to accept that person. We sing songs from around the world and from down the street. We sing them always with a prayer that through singing someone else's song, we can better stand in their shoes. Another priority here is our desire to blend a mixture of the head, the heart, and the hand in worship. You will hear something that challenges you to think deeply. You will hear something that resonates within your soul in a meaningful way. And you will be transformed in a way that affects your everyday living. I find that a lot of churches do one or two of these things, but when we're at our best at Calvary, we attempt to do all of those and to balance them. Lastly, we try to plan worship in ways that accommodate our differences. Differences in learning styles, differences in personality times, types, 
difference in Enneagram numbers, and the list goes on of all those considerations. None of us are equally comfortable participating in every element of worship. In fact, one of the best lessons I learned many years ago was from Jim Hurley, a biology professor at Oklahoma Baptist University who was a member of our congregation there. Dr. Hurley rarely sang in worship. And he was sometimes disconnected, and I would even describe him sometimes as agitated in worship. Yet as I got to know this man more intimately, I learned that he was perhaps more in tune with the text that we were singing and the prayers that we were praying than the most emotive person among us. I learned not to judge the heart by the small lens of my own experience. In his now famous book about worship, Robert Weber um, states in the book, Worship is a Verb, he reminds us that worship is active. It is all about participation. Just like our platform is a place from where we are inspired and prompted to worship, not a place from which worship actually always happens and we evaluate and applaud it, worship of the triune God is at its beginning and end about doing something, as Sherry so beautifully said this morning in the children's message. As the worst classical singer on record said, they can say I can't sing, but they can't say I didn't. But does our worship participation really matter that much? Is it really that big a deal, or am I just overstating this and making a big case for nothing? With a careful consideration of the biblical record, historical practice, and intentional discernment of the church mothers and fathers throughout the ages, the unequivocal answer to that question seems to be a resounding yes. It really is that important. If communicating with the God of the universe is at the center of our lives, as we proclaimed last week, then worship, which is our pathway to, for that God-human encounter, it is the most important thing that we do. But you might ask, well, can I worship in, my, in private? Can I worship in my own personal way? Is that not enough? The answer, again, seems clear, that God designed us to live and worship in community, to sing, to pray, to do whatever we do in worship together. When we vo join our voices together in worship each week, it is the only place in our world where we breathe simultaneously, and even our heart rates and our blood pressure start to synchronize. That is pretty amazing to me. Also, when we sing with boldness, we inspire and encourage those around us to sing too. So our singing matters to those around us. When we sing with gusto in front of our children, our children have a much, much better chance of growing up and singing and worshiping with abandon too. As I've looked back on years and years of being a minister of music, nearly 40 now, parents that sing boldly in church and sing unapologetically, notice I didn't sing beautifully or with skill, raise children who do the same. The ones who don't typically don't just sharing my experience. When we sing in worship, um, when we sing in worship and we offer our best unapologetically to God, we also stand in a surrogate worshipers for those around us, 
those whose pain may be too deep for expression. When we sing words that we don't believe but wish we did, we at least have a chance for singing ourselves into belief, which is, I think, what we do every week in this place. In the final analysis, worship is a pretty foolish thing to do. It makes no logical sense to come together and do what we do. It is countercultural, counterintuitive, it's uncomfortable, and un a lot of things that you could add to that list. But much like a person who is in love with another, love will lead us to take risks, to let down our guard, to lose our ambitions, and risk being misunderstood and misperceived. Have you ever known a person who falls in love and becomes a very different person? It happens, doesn't it? According to Miles Conley in his book, Mr. Blue, if one loves anything, truth, beauty, woman, life, one will speak out. Genuine love cannot endure silence. Genuine love breaks into speech. And when it is great love, it breaks into song. The real impetus for singing in church actually is love itself. When we love deeply, we are moved to express our love and we are willing to sing in spite of our skill level, our training, or even our dislike for a particular song. Our love breaks forth because we cannot, cannot constrain our love expression, no matter how foolish we may appear. Such self-abandoning love is at the root of the church and its vigorous singing. Shortly after coming to Waco, there was a night of worship at the Farrell Center led by Hillsong United, which is a group from Australia, is actually a movement uh, that has spawned some of the most well-loved and most uh, frequently sung worship songs of the last few decades. I went to the concert mostly as an academic exercise. I went to study what they were doing, to learn, to observe, and to hear their music up close. But when I got there, what I found was the Farrell Center packed with people who were worshiping God with their hands up raised and singing at the top of their lungs. I tried to sing along, but at the time I didn't know the songs, and as hard as I tried, the songs didn't come easily for me. In the midst of my intimidation from not knowing or picking up the songs readily, I found my way to the back of the Farrell Center and kind of way up at the top where not much was going on. As I sat there, I was angry that I did not know what was going on, and I was very frustrated that it seemed like the whole world was bypassing the music that had been so important to me. As I started to pray, I became convicted of my critical spirit. I started by praying for the people around me, and I thanked God for the open and vulnerable ways in which they worshiped. I acknowledged my anger to God, and I admitted that as much as I wanted to feel and emote, it was something that just did not come naturally to me. I told God how empty I felt because I didn't get it, and how much I wanted to feel more, to worship with my voice and my body, with my whole being. Since that night, nearly 16 years ago, I have been on a quest to love God with my whole self, to love God with my voice, with my body, with my hands, if I ever get them raised in worship, 
to love God with all that I am, not just my mind as I had been trained and my personality inclined me toward. Since that time, I've learned hundreds of new songs, and I can even hear songs now that I don't know and pick them up rather quickly in just one or two repetitions. So how deeply do we love? What does it take to get us out of our shell and get us to forget ourselves? How foolish are we willing to be for the sake of the God of the universe and for those around us? How much are we willing to say they can't say I didn't? How much are we willing to say that when it comes to the wholehearted worship participation that happens in this room every week? We all agree that Florence Foster Jenkins was not a great singer, right? Yet history is clear about her love of singing and her absolute delight in music. While movies will likely not be written about any of our lives, and most of us won't even find a Wikipedia post unless we post it ourselves, what will our families say about us? What will someone say at our funeral if they were to talk about us as a worshiper? What will they say about our love for God and how willing we were to let it be seen and let it be obvious? I have determined that I want to continue to find ways that I let the love I have for God, along with the love that I wish I had for God, find the truest expression possible. While a lot of what I do is far from perfect in the strict musical world in which I spend my days, I don't think there'll be much of a chance that those who know me well will accuse me of not singing and of not participating in trying. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I want to be faithful to the songs that God has placed in my heart. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, you are the author of all worship. You grace us with the opportunity to worship you, and you have placed us in this community where worship is nurtured and cherished. We say thanks. Yet in our perfection, our tiredness, our fear of not being good enough, our self-consciousness, our critical spirit, our defensive posture, we fail to worship you. We fail to allow the very breath that you have placed in our lungs to be given back to you in wholehearted worship. Forgive us, O God, and fill us with boldness. Give us resolve to live out our love for you unashamedly. Amen. Today, as we've moved through worship, you have experienced and learned a lot about this community of faith. If this imperfect but God-seeking community is a place where you'd like to put down your stakes, we couldn't be happier to receive you today. As we sing together in a few moments, there will be ministers in the staff, there will be ministers and staff in the back to receive you. But for all of us, there are decisions that need to be made today. The biblical record also seems to be quite clear that encounters with God require us to make a decision. They require us to do something. I don't know what that something might look like for you today, but whatever it is, I urge you to do it. I hope that when you leave today that you can say, they can't say I didn't. Amen.
you pray with me? Oh, Holy Father, we read in your scriptures that being in your presence compels demons to flee and angels to exalt you. Humans fall to their knees in your presence, God, and if they are silent, the very stones will cry out 
in response to your majesty. Father, today you have compelled us to think about what it truly means to worship you. Give us the courage to ask ourselves if we really do that. Teach us how to worship you, Father, for you are more than worthy. May our offerings this morning be a sweet aroma of true worship to you, Father. Amen. Thank you very much today for your attendance. It's been a joy to be with you in worship, and thank you so much for sharing this time together. As we look toward this week, let me remind you of just a few quick things. This Wednesday night begins the Wednesday night activities. The intergenerational choir has already been meeting for a couple of weeks, but everybody starts back this week. We will have a meal at 5 o'clock, so please come and support that. Uh, children's choirs and missions begin at 545, Enneagram class, youth Bible study at 6, and then the intergenerational choir and a children's interactive Bible study uh, led by Emily at 7. But this week, there's a special event going on. There's a first of the listening sessions with the, for, about the pastor search uh, process. So this week, Dr. Robert Creech from Truett Seminary will be here from 6 to 7 in Fellowship Hall, right under this room, for the first of those listening sessions. You don't need to feel compelled to come to each of those. Actually, you only need to come to one, and there will be two more. And we will be announcing those, I'm sure, in just the next few days so you can see when those others are. But if this Wednesday works well for you, please meet in the Fellowship Hall for that session this Wednesday. Two more quick things. You saw the Pastor Search Committee nomination uh, form in your worship folder today. If you didn't, then this is what it looks like. You need to fill this out. You have the rest of this week to get it in all the way through next Sunday. So you have two Sundays, today and next Sunday. Please uh, do that. Last thing is the life group launch. You'll see that in your worship folder as well. So important things for the life of our congregation happening this week. Be involved and enjoy this um, holiday weekend. Thank you. Let us now hear the benediction. May we stand, please. And now, my friends, may the God who sent his Son into the world to die for our sins implant in your hearts a song that will never die. And may the music of our faith make the whole world turn to God's rhythm. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>